the boys are back in town in Arizona. Pete Alonzo, Seth Lugo, and Kevin Pillar all return for the first place Mets for their series in Arizona against the D-backs. Oh, happy day. We'll discuss the key players coming back in Saturday's hit and home run barrage against the Braves. You get a hit. You get a hit. You get a homer. Our special guest this week is former Mets pitcher Bill Pulsifer. So get the grill going and join us for a happy Memorial Day edition of Amazing But True from the New York Post. Queens, New York. Mets take the field. So amazing. Amazing but true. Orange and blue. So amazing. Here's the pitch. New York, folks. It's out of here. We got you. Ooh. Welcome to Amazing But True, our Mets podcast from the New York Post. Happy Memorial Day, everybody. And thanks to all those who have served for our country. Subscribe to Amazing But True, wherever you get podcasts. Give us a five-star rating. Write in a nice review on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate your support. You can follow us on Twitter at Jake Brown Radio, at Figgy NY, Jake Brown, Nelson Figueroa. Coming at you, we'll be joined later in the show by former Mets pitcher, former member of Generation K. That would be Bill Pulsifer joins us for a fun interview. But first, Figgy, uh, the Mets swept the series this weekend, the one-game series, that is, as the Mother Nature had better plans for Memorial Day weekend. Raining out Friday and Sunday as the Mets will be full of doubleheaders. They're cutting more and more innings off the season as we speak. So the Mets are getting guys off the IL. It's like when that meme and they said, the Knicks are good again. What did it take? The Yankees. Well, the Mets are getting guys. What did it take? Jake going to the IL. I have an icy hot patch on my back right now from hurting myself at the gym Saturday. I did uh, squats for the first time in like six weeks. Clearly did them wrong. And I could barely walk today. And yes, it's not the happiest Memorial Day for me. But Figgy, a bad Memorial Day for me, an injury that I'll have to deal with. And I'll take it because what it means is Pete Alonzo, Seth Lugo, and Kevin Pillar back with the Mets on Memorial Day. So for Mets fans, it's oh happy day. Uh, absolutely. You know, this is the beginning, you hope, of uh, a, a nice month of June. Guys coming off of whatever rehab stints, guys coming off the IL, and the team getting stronger and stronger. Hats off to this team, whoever this team was over the past month that kept them afloat, kept them atop of the uh, National League East. And it wasn't pretty at times, but they got the job done. And guys like Reed Foley, who are going to go down, you know, he played a big role in picking up the slack whenever the bullpen needed it. And you got a guy now coming back, all-star caliber arm, one of the best middle inning guys in all of baseball. That's not just, you know, talking spin rates and everything else. This guy knows how to pitch. Seth Lugo being back is going to be a huge addition to this bullpen. Pilar, I don't get it. I, I think he is Superman. That was his nickname, right? As long as there's no kryptonite. This guy took 96 to the face just less than two weeks ago, and he's back on the field. Um, very impressive. And as a guy whose heart has showed how much he cares about this team and how much he cares about his teammates. So I'm excited to have him back, of course. And then the big man, middle of the lineup. You can't replace power like that very easily. And even though the Mets were winning, they weren't tearing the cover off the ball. So hopefully having the big bat in the middle of the lineup can stretch things out even a little bit more. And, and if he can start swinging a, a potent bat the way we know he's capable of, it's going to be a very good month of June for the 
mess. McKinney and the big man bust the city in half. I mean, Scooter's <laughs> not back bad, but McKinney's filled in the nice role. And yeah, I'm curious to see Seth Lugo. Now he'll have that Reed Foley middle relief role. He might be that bridge the gap. Maybe he pitches a couple times, seventh and eighth inning. Say it's three to two Mets. You might see two innings of Lugo. I'm curious to see how it'll be. You know, he had some rehab, but you know, the minor leagues isn't the big leagues. And uh, I'm curious to see his role and how good he will be. Because if he is the normal effective Seth Lugo, the Mets just essentially, everyone says, oh, you get a guy back at the trade deadline. Well, you get him back to go into the month of June is major Pete major and Pilar is major because how many more times we have to see Cameron Mabin who we finally got to give a round of applause because I was there Saturday and my no. god was it cold Figgy was there any other no. there's no other way you could have drew it up literally a slow roller that the third baseman was hoping the wind was going to push it foul because that wind was howling and the wind kept Cameron Mabin fair you may have been right you may have been wrong but Mabin has a hit yeah, he does have a hit and he uh again the the joke was he just passed Jed Lowry on the Mets all-time hit list (laughs) but it was it was it was in what kind of fashion of course it was just an absolute got blown up little slow roller he beats it out because there's no play a hit's a hit right that's a line drive in the book but that let up that got him on then Lindor hits a home run what was going on right it was one of those days where it seemed like the Mets could do no wrong you had a guy like McCann who couldn't hit his way out of a paper bag four hits and we talked about The one thing that we hadn't seen him do all year long was hit the ball the other way. First at bat, home run, the other way to right field. Another hit, the other way. There was a wide open hole on the right side because they know he loves to pull the ball. He hit the ball right through the vacated second base hole, which was just absolute, you know, you had 120 feet to get a base hit. He just poked it right through. So take what the defense is giving you. Uh, There was a great point brought up by the Fox uh, broadcast team that maybe – taking him out of the catching role allowed him to not have to focus so much on all the pitch, all the pitchers, all the pitches, all the defenses, all the blocking balls. And all he had to do was worry about at first base was catching the ball where sometimes he wasn't even in the right position, but all he had to worry about is now, you know, cleaning up his swing, letting the ball travel a little bit deeper, putting the ball in play with a little bit of authority. And it, it took off his mind, all the other responsibilities of being a catcher. And I hadn't even considered that because this is a new guy taking on a whole new staff. And then within that whole new staff, having to constantly learn probably two pitchers a week because of all the injuries. So it was a lot on his plate. And as a backup catcher, it's not usually on your plate. It's on the starter's plate. So it might have been a lot of for him might have been too much too fast so it was one game I'll take it because again four hit games don't come every day but it's a nice little building block and we'll see what happens because he's not going to be playing first base uh anymore with Pete Alonso back in the lineup and Dom Smith back in left field so we know that now that Luis Rojas has those two weapons he can you know do whatever he needs to do with the double switches and at least you know you have some kind of flexibility with Nito swinging a good enough bat to be a viable option and catching behind home plate as well. So those guys are going to platoon a lot more than we thought they would. Yeah, James McCann, now we can finally say he's batting his weight. Yes! He is now <laughs> up to 221 after that four-hit game. Yeah, curious how they're going to pull that off. And, you know, if he stays hot, that means less time for Nito. But Nito is one of the hottest Mets hitters in the month of May. So it's going to be maybe a four and a three times a week type of thing. I think they got two days off. But now you 
cherish the days off because you're starting to get guys back. And now J.D. Davis will resume his rehab on Tuesday. So maybe against the Padres, you get J.D. back. And VR's been good. So now you have some options and you could kind of move guys around, get guys back in the lineup. McKinney has filled in nicely, not to be, you know, related with, uh, as we said, the last show with Susie Hunter with President McKinley. No relation, but he's he's filled in nicely. And Saturday was truly the Oprah Winfrey gift. You get a hit. You get a hit. You get a hit. And it was you get a homer. You get a homer. You get a homer. Because even Lindor piled on at the end. They were the two-run shot. And boy, did he need it. Because now as you're getting guys back, man, if Lindor could even hit with all these guys back, I mean, the Mets have already, already tied for the biggest lead for first place in baseball at 25 and 20, which, as we say every week, is a testament to Rojas and them, but also testament to just how brutal the rest, the Braves, Phillies, Marlins, Nationals have not been good. Uh, the other biggest lead is the AL Central. But Figgy, here we are, going into a seven-game West Coast trip here against the Diamondbacks and the Padres, the Diamondbacks who are in last, the Padres who are in first, they get the best of both worlds. You're hoping for maybe a four and three road trip, but not as much pressure when you have a nice big three and a half game cushion on the Atlanta Braves. Yeah, and but that could also go away very fast. We saw the Atlanta Braves pour it on the Pirates right after the Mets left and put up almost 20 runs. So that National League East is not going to stay down for long. I think everybody's going to start getting healthy and they're going to start playing better baseball. So you have to keep the pedal to the metal. You have to beat the teams you have to beat. We said that about their record already. The teams that are over 500, they're struggling against still. They have not done very well against teams over 500. The teams under, they have done nicely. I think they're 20 and 10, something like that. And, and that's what you're looking for is a team that really and take care of business and find ways to win. It hasn't always been pretty. But I said it the other day, one of the biggest moves in that double header was you brought in Jacob Barnes, who has almost a 70 RA against the Rockies' best hitter in the biggest moment of the game where one swing ties the game and somehow it worked out and I won't care I won't look back it won't there won't be a a special SNY you know five days in flushing when it comes to that move right there but that's an important move because that confidence uh, for Jacob Barnes would be everything that move shows that Jacob Barnes can get out a very hot hitter a big hitter for another team and also for the rest of the bullpen you have to be able to count on other people and as this team gets healthier, as this team gets those reinforcements back, it's going to start looking like a team that can compete and go deep into the playoffs. What I laugh about still, VR, who's been huge for this team, right? All the things that he's been able to do, play different positions, run the bases like a, like a Tasmanian devil, works out most of the time, except for the time he got picked off. He's only batting like 230 max. But I swear, it, it feels like he's getting three hits a game. It feels like he's hitting a big home run every day. Yeah, a two run say, home run by he VR. gets a clutch hit almost every right. couple of games. It's like a two run home run. It's either a clutch hit, he makes a play, or he scores from first base on a base hit to left field because he uses his speed. So those role players who got a chance to play, you are so much more comfortable than where you were coming out of spring training going, well, you know, we'll see if we can get him some at-bats. I'm excited about getting the other guys back, but you still have to find ways for VR. And now you know, hey, you could put him in in several different positions. You could have him pinch run. You can do the mixes where, say, Pete Alonso gets on on a single. Hey, bring VR in the pinch run. You know, he's going to be able to score, and you can bring Dom to play first. You can put McCann at first. I'd rather see Dom at first, quite frankly. But there's so many different moves. Brandon Drury with a huge bomb 
that night. He's had a couple um, of key hits, Jerry. A couple he, homers. He, yeah. he has, and he was a nice player coming up. I always kind of liked him. Um, I haven't seen any consistency out of him as of yet, but that one swing kind of reminds you of the, the kind of pop that he had always had, um, you know, advertised. Also reminds you how much wind, because that thing went high up in the oh, air. I was there. So it was cold, windy, and, it, you know, it was uh, much to the undelight of Jimmy. Tickets were only $10, Jimmy, so my elitist ass didn't spend a lot on tickets, but my God. <laughs> It wasn't worth much more than that because it was cold. It's a rare time where the Mets scored more runs than you paid for a ticket. And uh, I was sitting with the seven-line army in center. And you mentioned the uh, five days in Flushing. Well, SNY will be releasing soon, breaking news, and this is unconfirmed, but two days in Flushing for Mazika, who has been optioned as part of this uh, return. The two <laughs> days in Flushing coming to SNY soon. Memorial Day Mazika. Uh, we thanked our soldiers. We thank you, soldier Patrick Mazika, for your two walk-off fielder's choice RBIs and all you did for this team because I don't know if we'll see him back unfortunately because now it's back to the two catchers you didn't really have much use for him anyways he had a couple pinch hits I know you had the pinch hit single uh, when they lost three to two against the Rockies so Mazika gone and Khalil Lee let's thank him for a, for that two-run big hit you know everyone has had some form of a hit or a big role he had that two-run hit in Miami he had a couple stellar defensive plays so while the numbers might not show it and the box score doesn't show it the only one who has it is really Mabin. I mean, it's funny you mentioned Jed Lowry passing him on the hits list. 20 million, Jed Lowry, zero hits, one dollar. Cameron Mabin, one hit. So uh who who won that? So the Mets spent the dollar better than they spent the 20 million dollars. But everyone seems at some point to have made a contribution, and now you get a couple of re- your regulars back in there. You get to see Jacob DeGrom start the series. I'm so glad they didn't play because that would have been a waste if you did throw DeGrom and then there were rain delays. You know, we saw that with Strowman earlier in the season. So many rain I've lost track I don't even look it up anymore I think it's hit double digits at this point the Mets are going to have so many double headers which might benefit them and what do you see Seth Lugo's role exactly being do you see it as the Reed Foley or do you see him kind of being a setup man for Edwin Diaz like he has in the past I think he's going to be more of a setup man honestly I think it's the role that he's you know been been uh groomed for for a long time last year they tried to make him a starter again and we see that it just doesn't work out for him he's not not that he's not built for that, but in this day and age of being able to focus on six hitters, two innings, going right after him with everything you've got, and he bounces back pretty well. As long as it's not 50 pitches, you might see him in the next game in a one-inning stint, and he's able to give you that flexibility, and you can rely on him because he's very consistent with the stuff that he has. Quite honestly, I've said it for over the last two years, he has the best, second-best stuff on the team, and, and the numbers say that when you look at the spin rates and all those different things. He's been like top 10 when it comes to all the spin rate categories. And he's on paper, you say, damn, if we could just make him a starter and give him an opportunity, but it doesn't ever really work out for him as a starter. So I'm hoping he continues to flourish in the role of that seventh, eighth inning, even closer at times, because he can he can shut the door when it's not a, a, a big situation or a bases loaded jam with the you know biggest hitter up. I, I love everything I've seen from Seth Lugo. I think you're gonna continue to see that same kind of uh, ability. So I don't think he's going to get eased back in in a, you know, a a Reed Foley role or a Jacob Barnes role. This is Seth Lugo. This is a guy you've been counting on to be one of the big three in the back end of that bullpen. I think he's going to jump right back into it. Life's a happy song with Pilar, Pete, and Lugo to sing along. Life's a piece of cake. Look who's on the mound. It is Jake. Yes, there we go. That's my Muppets reference for the show today. It seems like a weekly tradition. I have to sing some form of a song. I've been made fun of a lot by our pinstripe pot host for 
continuously wearing the amazing but true shirts nonstop. <laughs> I wore it into the Bronx, and I said this how much fun I had, but it was a week of amazing but true promos. So we have some more shirts to give away. Gave away some on Saturday. So if you're a new listener, and got a shirt, enjoy the shirt. Wear wear it to uh, wear it to a wedding. Wear it to uh, a stadium. Where, wherever there's eyeballs, uh, if it's your bedroom, fine, but you have to have someone in your bed with you. If it's by yourself, don't wear it. It's not, <laughs> it's not allowed to <laughs> wear it to sleep by yourself. And I'm, I'm scared to pull this icy hot patch off my back because it is hairy. So the hair is just going to peel off. It's going to be like a scene at a 40 year old virgin where he gets like his nipples Kelly waxed. Clarkson. Yeah. I, I'm just getting ready for a Memorial day pain at 10 PM when I pull this thing off and there's one patch of no hair. Uh, I'm sorry to the listeners for giving you that image, but uh, yeah. it has been a painful day, but the Mets have not put us through pain figgy. It's fun to watch. We're in first place. We got reinforcements and a West coast trip and, It'll be fun. You know, they come back home June 12th that weekend against the Padres, and there might be JD back, maybe Nimmo's back. There's guys on the prowl, and that's exactly what you wished for. You're listening to Amazing But True. Jake Brown, Nelson Figueroa. We'll have soon our Amazing But True voicemail. We'll tweet out the details for that, where you can call into the show, leave us your messages, and we'll respond to some of the best ones, your questions, your concerns. So check on Twitter for that. But joining us next, we are joined by a member of Generation K. That would be Bill Pulsifer on the other side of Amazing But True. Joining us now on Amazing But True is a former Mets pitcher who was part of Generation K. He pitched for the Mets in 95, 98, part of 2000. He was in the big leagues for five seasons. He played overseas. I'm pretty sure he won a championship with the Long Island Ducks. That would be Bill Pulsifer joining us on Amazing But True. Bill, it's Jake Brown, Nelson Figueroa, your former minor league teammate. What are your memories with Figgy? You would love to hear, you know, the minor league days and you got any stories? You got any any funny stories about him? Something we might not be able to talk about on the podcast. But uh, (laughs) the best kind. No, no, we, uh, I think I first came across Figgy in 97 when I was, uh, I was coming back off of Tommy John surgery. Figgy was in Binghamton playing there and doing his thing. And I came there towards the end of the season. I want to say the last, last month or so of the season I came, uh, I was struggling big time with the, the anxiety and the control issues. They were trying to find a place for me to be able to fit in and try to get some work in. And, um, 97, uh, I was there in Binghamton with Figgy and, you know, it was right towards the end of the year. We got to know each other a little bit. And then from there, it's, it's kind of like our path seemed to cross, uh, quite a bit over the next probably 10 years or so, whether it be in winter ball or independent ball or wherever it may be, you know, we seem to cross paths quite a bit. Yeah, one of the things about Pulse, when he was making that comeback and gener- part of Generation K, of course, I'm a Mets fan growing up. I get signed in 1995. Bill Pulsifer has already had some time in the minor leagues and you hear his name. You, you see the kind of guys that are ahead of you. Izzy, Pulsifer, Wilson, those are the three big pitchers that are going to be there forever and ever. And as a starter, I'm looking up at these guys. I'm like, these guys are filthy. They're nasty. It's 95, 1997. I'm, re- I'm, I'm there with Pulsifer and watching him, you know, trying to make his climb back after the Tommy John. We're playing catch. And I'll never forget this, man. We were in New Britain and uh, we're throwing in the outfield. And we used to kind of get down for each other and do flat ground work, right? And Pulse is throwing. And I remember we you know, do counts, right? We're doing a hitter. Boom. It's two and O count. Pulse throws a pitch right down the middle. And I'm like, oh man, you can't throw it right there. And he goes, why not? It's a strike. 
And I go, but if you put it there, it's going to get crushed. He's like, how do you know? He goes, I'm lefty. I got natural movement. I'm nasty. His confidence, <laughs> just his confidence alone was like, you know what? He's absolutely right. He goes, that guy's going to get out, you know, figgy seven out of 10 times. He's going to get himself out. I don't got to do any other work. So I got to do is throw a strike. I'm happy with throwing a strike right there. And I was like, damn, that's a different way of looking at it. Where I, I was always trying to be perfect and I didn't have the stuff to not be perfect. I said, you know what? This guy's right. Let the movement happen. Let this guy put the ball in play and don't overthink it. One of the things I always admired about him is with everything that he was going through, baseball and those three hours of being on the field, this guy was a huge competitor. And that's all he wanted to do was be out there competing and trying to dominate each and every guy he was going to face. And I, I always took those little life lessons. And I think that's the beauty of baseball and teammates is that when you come in contact with somebody, you kind of learn what they're going through and you learn from either their mistakes or their triumphs and you want to excel and try and be more and more like them. So as our paths crossed back and forth, we had more stories to tell. We had more lessons to learn. We had more beers to drink. And uh, I, I always, he was always somebody that I always looked up, looked up to, even though we're the same damn age, which drives me crazy. Nah, Biggie, man, you were always a great teammate, man. I was, we had, we had so many, shared so many stories, pitching, learning from each other, learning how to pitch, moving the ball, manipulating the ball, all those things you say are so true. But uh, part of that funny thing is in 1997, just throwing a strike was an accomplishment for me because I was struggling so bad with the uh, with the yips or whatever you want to call it that, uh, you know, you, you got to tell yourself to trust yourself sometimes and then fire that thing in there. And like you said, seven times out of ten, and nowadays it seems like a lot more than that, you know, you got a good chance of getting somebody out. Seems so um, the game has changed so much since we played. Yeah. Also, as one of the athletes that I know you dealt with several different things like anxiety and depression. And when we were coming up, that wasn't talked about a lot. Nowadays, you hear athletes talk about it. And they're being commended for opening up. And we were kind of felt like we had to be silent about it, almost hide it. Uh, talk a little bit about those kind of things that you dealt with. Yeah, there's, been, there's so many things I look at nowadays with the game and the way the game is played and the way things are approached. That I feel like, in a way, I was kind of uh, ahead of my time, not just with the being able to talk about the, the issues, the anxiety issues, depression issues, things that were, you know, the, the teams nowadays have somebody that travels with the team or they have little areas inside the clubhouse where guys go and deal with uh, kind of decompression and stuff like that to try to deal with these kinds of things. You know, I look at the way the guys dress now, you know, the, 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 all the stuff that I was doing, I was being told uh, you, you need to do it by the book and, you know, wear the cleats that are matching the team, this, that, and the other thing. You look at the way the guys dress now, I feel like I was kind of ahead of my time, but now I, I know that I'm old now because I sit and I complain watching the television, complain about the guys' uniforms, lack of looking like a ball player, like what, what, like what we thought a major league baseball player was supposed to look like. So, um, yeah, the game, is def the game is definitely changed when it comes to the mental side and and uh, you look at a guy like Zach Greinke, who, who was, you know, he was out of the game at one point in time and has turned around and, and made, uh, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars and went on to have a, a great, uh, successful career. He's just kind of like we came up through that, that period of time where things were kind of transitioning into uh, a more forward thinking way about going about the stress and the things that we go through as Major League Baseball players. You know, on the outside, it looks like it's all uh, it's all gravy and it's all it's all good. But we go through so much and the amount of pressure that we put on ourselves to be able to try to perform um i think that it's great that in this day and age they have different outlets for the players to be able to deal with those kinds of things and let them know that they are human and they do go through emotions and you go through things that uh can be remedied can be fixed can be dealt with that um definitely was a little bit different in our day obviously the tommy john and, and the injuries you dealt with after you came to the big leagues with the mets played a big toll but do you think a couple extra years in the minors and maturing and growing 
overall? Because you came to the Mets when you were, what, 21 years old. Do you think a couple extra years in the minors and uh, before getting called, especially to a big stage like New York, could have made an impact or no? Mm, no, I think not blowing out my elbow would have been a good thing. I think that changed everything. You know, I, I signed at 17 years old, so I played 18, 19, 20 in the minor leagues. There's guys, like I was watching David Weather's son the other day throw it. I mean, he had 35 innings in the minor leagues pitched before he came up, obviously, because of the, the pandemic trying to change everything and then the kids that pitched uh, against the Yankees just the other day with the Blue Jays same thing you know 35 innings pitched in the minor league so I don't think it was so much that I think uh, injury kind of changed everything you know I think about coming into my rookie year and going my first six or seven starts throwing seven innings in each one of those outings including giving up five runs in the first inning of my first uh, first game in the big leagues and still going seven innings I was more than ready to to compete uh, at the major league level I just one wasn't ready to be injured and then two wasn't ready to to uh, handle what's happened and transpired after being injured you know things kind of changed in new york at that point in time because the yankees started winning the world series every year and the mets kind of felt that pressure of you know trying to be the a, a winning organization and get on the back page uh, of the newspapers and changing managers and leaning bobby who saw things completely different than the way dallas did and then just things kind of changed you know i don't think it had anything to do I, mean, I threw well over 500 innings in the minor leagues before i came to came to the major leagues i think i was overused and not to anybody's fault because that's what I wanted to be doing anyway was uh, give me the ball and it's my ball and don't take it away until the game's over I think it was uh the, the injury when I injured my elbow things something just something just changed you know I was and I came from an era when you were, you were told you don't lose your job due to injury I lost my job due to injury I was told I had to go down to uh to a rehab assignment when I had a very good spring, uh, very good spring training in 1997 had a very good spring training, threw 34 innings, gave up one run, and then was told I have to go on a rehab uh, assignment. And they made me, my immaturity at that point in time, being 20, 22 years old, kind of, you know, got in my own way where I'm like, why do I need to do this? I'm ready to go. And I just remember getting to Syracuse the first night of the season and just, man, I've never felt like this before. You know, my hands are sweaty, my underarms are sweaty. I'm like, this is where I used to love to be. And all of a sudden, it's like the, the worst, the, the least place that I want to be is out on the mound because I just felt completely different. So, again, for your question, no, definitely, I think I would ready to, to play just something happened when I got hurt yeah one of the things that you've you've talked about is, is that that change and it's not the physical it's the emotional it's the, the emotional response that leads to the physical responses now you're sweating like you've never sweated before now you're thinking about things like you never thought before and, and that's paralyzing uh, almost in, in a way and I know dealing with uh, Dr. Alan Lance he was you know influential in trying right he was a guy that he was a guy that helped a lot of people and didn't back then get the credit that he deserved. There were some young prospects who came, not just you, but after you. Uh, Grant Roberts is a guy who jumps off the page with me where these are the types of things where you're not experiencing these things in the minor league because you're used to success. And once you hit some failure or you hit a bump in the road, the pressure that you put on yourself to find that success and even little successes so that you could get back to the big leagues. I think that's yeah, throwing, the biggest... a two, throwing a two Oh, two Oh strike on a flat ground. <laughs> you know, little <laughs> success, that, even yes. things like that. <laughs> no, 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 absolutely. And, and I think that just, it leads to a, a lot of, I felt the same way. Like, what do I have to do to prove myself now? What do I have to do? Because you said it, you did 500 innings in the minor leagues. You got to the big leagues early in your career. So you proved that you could be there and you never got the opportunity that, that you deserve to kind of, Hey, here's 30 starts. Let's see what happens. 
Is that a that's that's probably the biggest regret of everything? Unfortunately for me, the year that I was rehabbing Tommy John, and this is nothing against the guys, but Jason Isringhausen and Paul Wilson had four seasons. The Mets had a four season. You know, they where they went five and fourteen or five and thirteen, whatever it was, what their records were. I didn't get that chance to go out and make those thirty starts because I was rehabbing Tommy John, so it was kind of like predetermined that when you come back, you're going to have to re-earn your re-earn your spot again. Where I kind of felt like, man, I came up here and I threw seven innings every outing, damn near, as a, as a rookie. I felt like I did earn my spot, but then things kind of all changed. You know, uh, McElvain wasn't there anymore. Steve Phillips became the general manager. They brought in a new manager, and Bobby Valentine. And these were just things that, as a 22-year-old, that's where maybe the immaturity came in a little bit, where just wasn't uh, ready to deal with that because that was my first taste of, of negativity or first taste of not just being a, an, out, an outright success in everything you do. Because, you know, you look back to your minor league career and, you know, a bad outing, you gave up four runs, but you also went seven and a third to 120 pitches. So that victory and the fact that, well, you didn't knock me off the mound, you know what I'm saying? I, I had to walk off the mound to get that last out or whatever it may be. So it's just, uh, there's, there was such a culmination of things that happened around that time, including, like I said, the Yankees. He's starting to win, and that just putting so much more pressure on the Mets to try to just to keep up and to try to be relevant. It was just one of those things where it was uh, just bad timing in a way, you know, just kind of bad timing. Did the the Mets rotation, uh, Bill, in 2015 when you had Harvey and and Mats and Degrom and everyone was talking about the rotation and the hype around it? Did that did that give you flashbacks of Generation K at all? Yeah, well, of course. I mean, I I mean, I'm, I like Biggie. I, I grew up. I'm an '80s kid, so I grew up watching the Mets. I grew up watching the Braves. I grew up watching the, the Cubs and obviously gravitated towards the Mets simply because of the, the success that they had during the mid to late 80s. So uh, I grew up a Mets fan and lived the Mets fan dream. So I'm still a Mets fan. Like last night, I was I was kind of ticked off. I didn't get a chance to see the man throw because I love to watch him throw once a week. And so, yeah, you know, I, I, I was rooting for those guys, but you can kind of see it. You know, I see sometimes in Stephen Matt's face, you can kind of just, it just brings back memories of, man, I know what he's going through right now. I know his head's spinning and uh, you could just see it, you know. But um, I, I still root for those guys. I've watched Matt's when I can watch him throw when he's uh, on around here, like I saw him throw against the Yankees not too long ago. I know Matt Harvey went through a lot of stuff, and um, i got to give him a lot of credit for sticking to it. I call it stick to itiveness. The man's still out there doing his thing and getting the ball in the major leagues once every five days. So you got to tip your hat to him for all the things that he's been through. I'm sure he probably has some regrets as to how he handled some things in his career, like we all do. But yeah, you know, a Mets fan. So of, of course, I, I see those guys and obviously have the reminisce of the Generation K thing. And, um, you know, it's it's cool. It's cool to be part of it and to, to be part of the Mets history and then to, to be able to still be able to talk about it all these years later. I always, man, it, you and Doc and getting to know you guys even further, like when we do the fantasy camp, we get to hang out and reminisce and all those different things. And I, I've said it time and time again, that an organization like the Mets, I just don't feel that they use the resources of the guys who've played before and have been through the, the wars before here, right here in New York and on whether it was Shea Stadium Mound or, you know, myself with City Field Mound, the ups and downs, the pressures, no one would know that better than you would of what Stephen Matz was going through or what Matt Harvey was going through with, with Doc, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I, I feel blessed that I was able to get into um, fantasy camp last year and kind of put the uniform on again for the first time in a long time. So, you know, you never you never want to say that uh, the doors are closed. So you never know what the future will bring. But um, 
I, I agree with you 100%, you know, because uh, you, you yourself, me, we, we know what it's like to step out there and to represent and wear that, the blue and orange. And it is special, man. It is special. I don't care what anybody says. Being at once a Met, always a Met, it's a thing, man. It's definitely a thing. I consider myself a Met. I played for so many different teams in so many different places. But um, it's a special thing. And I think that the players themselves know that, too, the young guys that come up. So, you know, I think it would be great to be able to sit with some of the young young players and kind of talk to them and I know I'm so far gone now, they're like, who the hell is this guy? But, um, you know, I, I definitely have a, a vast knowledge of experience of, of positives, negatives, and everything in between when it comes to uh, to playing, that, uh, you know, in Queens. If you could go back now, what would this Pulsifer tell Pulsifer of uh, 21, 22 now? I would tell him there's probably the same thing that uh, guys like uh, Al Leiter and, and, and John Franco and those guys were telling me. Just, to, you know, just be quiet. You don't need to talk as much. Uh, just go about your business, do your thing. Focus on getting better. Don't worry about the, the media and talking to the media and being – and that, that doesn't mean you don't do your interviews. and do your, But to try to make a story all the time. I was a cocky young son of a bitch, man. I was I was a special, <laughs> special individual, let me tell you. But – um. You know, I kind of bought into it because I thought I was different. I really did. Uh, uh, naively, but I, I thought I was different. I thought I could do an act and do act certain ways. Like I said, that goes back to kind of the um, ahead of my time in a way. Is It kind of seems like a lot of players are a little bit more like how I was, and it's a lot more accepted. You know, they have the, the whole MLB campaign with let's let, just let the kids play this, that, and the other thing. Again, that's how I know I'm getting old is because I'm like, I don't agree with this. I don't agree with standing at home plate for 10 minutes after you hit a home run. I don't agree with a lot of things that go on. And that goes for pitchers and sometimes the way they act. I remember watching the kids uh, from the Reds not too long ago and his antics that he was putting on out there in a game that they were losing and, <laughs> and him yelling at his manager, let me be me, let me be me. You know, I don't, I don't know, man. So that's like how I know I'm getting old, but – that's I would this bill would tell the young bill just be quiet a little bit man go about your business just work hard keep your nose down work hard and believe you got to earn it every every single day you got to earn it every single day because it's a it's a privilege to put on a major league uniform and to be able to go out there and, and perform in front of the fans and, and to be there you know it's a privilege and I kind of took it more as a, this is the way it was supposed to be and this is the way it was going to be for the longest time and that doesn't mean I didn't grind for years and years and years after trying to go chase it you know I pitched till I was 37 years old still chasing that dream after and unfortunately it was uh, later on in my when I, my playing career where you start to realize man this, this is a real privilege to be able to put on a big league uniform and go out there underneath the light on a nightly basis and uh, to be a part of it yeah this bill might have tweeted out his thoughts instead of the era of twitter you might have uh, vented out your frustrations on the twitter machine right Bill? yeah well yeah there's, there's probably a good chance if i was in my early 20s and twitter was around that i probably would have been saying some <laughs> that i shouldn't have been saying <laughs> out there there's a good chance of that but uh i, I like to think no and i definitely i do have a twitter account and i do have to check myself in once in a while like nah don't don't send that you don't need to be a part of that you don't need to. but um it is definitely different things are different i think i kind of had a way and kind of paving the way for the let's let let's just let the kids play let them play whatever their motto is that they were they were using in the commercials over the last few years after your baseball career and in between i know jason isringhausen got helped you get back in the cardinals you pitched a little bit of the cardinals before you know you bounced around with the ducks and the caribbean and puerto rico mexican league were there other odd jobs i've read that you were a groundskeeper for the st Lucie mets what what did you any other odd jobs that you did after your career well i mean i work i work road construction i've been doing that since 2011 now 2012 
but other than the, my little stint, when that was that was kind of one of those things where Tommy Bowes, the head ground, uh, grounds crew keeper, uh, groundskeeper down in St. Lucie, I told him I was like, man, I need to I need to get a little job. I need to do something. And he told me, hey, look, I'll give you a job here, but you got to promise me that from nine o'clock till noon you're over in the gym, and then from noon to three you come over here and you work. And it's kind of crazy. What a crazy story, man. The fields that I grew up on as a minor league player, I'm out there cutting the grass and fixing the mound and like that it's when uh look, look i'm not too proud you know i've been to the i've been to the top i've been to the bottom and everywhere in between other than that you know i've like i said i've worked construction for the last eight nine ten years now so other than that no no other odd jobs i was always chasing uh what league can i go get in and try to make a little bit of money you know i, I spent seven eight nine years in the winter time down in puerto rico and in venezuela and this is a lot of times where me and figgy would cross paths as well but uh giving pitching lessons that's an, you know i do that uh that in, in the road construction well listen i think it's a great story and that's why i asked i think it's it's remarkable now your son you've passed it down now your son liam is pitching for queen's college now right yeah he's at queen's college and my youngest son layton is a junior and he's uh, committed to uh, central connecticut state who we actually sat and watched they won there they got their their bid into the ncaa tournament yesterday when winning the uh, northeast conference uh, tournament last night and Liam is a left-handed pitcher like me, and Leighton is middle infielder, shortstop mostly. You know how that goes, though. Most of the good guys are shortstops until they get a little further on. It's to be determined if you're going to be a shortstop later on. I think you can do it. Yeah, there was a little uh, little shortstop that the Mets drafted not too long ago that they decided to make into a pitcher, and it kind of turned out all right, I think. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if he's <laughs> little, but, <laughs> you know, that's the, that's the thing I tell my youngest things. I tell my youngest, too, man, keep the pitching thing open. You never know, because the hardest thing to do on the planet is, is to hit, which is being proven more and more in this day and age, especially with the way that the velocities have changed and the, the way the swings have changed. There's not many hitters out there anymore. It's pretty much swingers. It's funny as they used to say, talk about us as pitchers. Oh, this guy's a thrower. He's not a pitcher. Well, to me, it seems like the hitters, the hitters nowadays are swingers. They're not hitters. They're just swinging and swinging as hard as they can. I was just talking to somebody yesterday about when I grew up, we were taught the harder a guy throws, the softer you need to swing and let the ball and the, the power of the pitch you supply your power. Where I see guys just swinging, you know, swinging from their heels and thinking they got to swing harder because the guy's throwing 100 miles an hour. I think that the uh, something's been lost in the translation as to how to, to go about this. And the shame is they're talking about moving the mound back as opposed to saying, hey, you guys learn how to hit instead of swinging from your ass every single swing. Or, you know, learn how to hit again. Maybe you need to watch Tony Gwynn. Maybe you need to watch Rod Carew videos. Maybe you need to watch uh, Pete Rose. Maybe you need to watch some things and learn some things opposed to uh, us talking about let's change the mound that's been there since 1894. How about you guys learn how to learn how to play the game? That's funny that you said that because literally I was doing a hitting lesson yesterday and a, a kid's hitting a ground hit a hard ground ball past me you know in the cage and I said you know that works and he's like no the exit velocity on that sucked I go Pete Rose had over 4,000 hits don't knock a hard hit ground ball up the middle are you kidding me right now exit like, not velocity. everything's gonna how be how old is this kid that he's talking about exit velocity no they he's only 12 that's all they think about TV. now oh my we're talking goodness. about 190 119 mile an hour out. I don't care. You can hit four of those to the shortstop. Hit it four, <laughs> exactly. four times 120 miles an hour. I don't care. He's out. He's going to sit down. We got 12 year olds talking about an exit velocity. I wouldn't even guess what that is in 12 years well, old. Gosh, you damn. go to a lot of these facilities nowadays, and they don't have people that actually played played long enough or played at a high enough level is the way that you sell to kids and sell to parents is I got the rap soda machine that will tell you this, that, and the other thing. And I don't know if that teaches you how to hit or anything. It can tell you how either how hard you can hit it or how soft you can hit it, but that to me doesn't, or how hard you can throw it or just all these, this is crazy. I, you know what? It's funny. I was mentioning the 
game the other day, and they were talking about how because of the technologies, the pitchers are so far ahead of the hitters now because of the Rapsodo machine. And it was telling them, if I can get this spin on the ball, this spin on the ball. Well, in our day, they would tell you, you need to get on top of the ball a little bit more. Or if you get on the side of this pitch, you'll get a little bit more. Like, we didn't need a machine to tell us that. We went out there and threw, and we had a coach, and our coach played for 20 years. He wasn't just a, uh, you know, and I got nothing against anybody doing their thing. And, but if you're 30-something years old and you're a major league pitching coach, why aren't you still playing if you know so much about pitching? Unless you got your, unless your arm blew up completely. So to me, it's like the numbers and all that has kind of taken over the game where I could tell you know the difference between a guy that threw uh, fast and a guy that threw hard, a heavy ball. What does that mean? It's ball spins. You need to, I don't need a machine to tell me the guy's got heavy spin on his ball. You can watch it. You can see it. There's a reason why Kyle Farnsworth would get hit at 98 miles an hour and Greg Maddox wouldn't get hit at, eight, at 85 miles. Absolutely. Last question for me, Pulse. Uh, what's your biggest moment in your career on the big league mound? Big league mound. That's a tough one, man. It could be something as simple as, to be honest with you, is just walking out there that first day and saying that you did it. You know, saying that you you did it. You you achieved that goal. There was games, obviously throwing a throwing a complete game and and beating uh, what was uh, Perez, Pascual, the lefty Perez from Expos. Oh, what the heck is his name? Carlos. You know, you remember crazy. He would do the Carlos little dancing Perez. and all yeah, that. Yeah, Carlos Perez. You know, throwing a throwing a shutout against him, I guess, because he was a hot a hot rookie up at that time. But I, you know, I don't look at one one necessary necessary game in the major leagues or anything like that. But I, I would say just walking out, being a Mets fan, walking out into Shea that first day, knowing that you're going to stand on that mound, share the same mound as as guys like Doc Gooden, Guzman, Seaver. Just uh, being able to say that you did it, and um, that's that's it. You know, that's my biggest thing is, is that I did it. You can't take it away from. Me. Who's the biggest out you ever got? Striking out Barry Bonds, I guess would, mm. be, would, would be the top. I, I think I, I claim that I did it three times in one game. To be honest with you, I don't know if it's three, but I know it was more than once in a game. But um, but then I look back and I look at uh, Ray Sanchez hitting a home run off me and, uh, with eight uh, eight and two thirds, and a guy hitting a home run in five hundred at bat, or um, David Eckstein hitting a home run off of me. You know, guys. So it's crazy. You can tell you look, I got the home run king. I struck him out, but I gave up a home run to David Eckstein. So <laughs> it's uh, oh jeez, can't make it up. The best of both. Both worlds. Now it's on Liam and Layton to put you into an old person's home in the next 15 years and, and do their best to get to the big leagues and uh, hopefully have success. We'll see what happens. Bill Pulsifer had a great career, long career over the big leagues, the minor leagues, independent leagues, all leagues. And now we will have to join you. We'll have to get Figgy one of these days, Figgy's busy schedule, to join you on this all-you-can-eat lobster tour because that sounds sexual and I need all you can eat lobster you know what's funny is figgy asked me before if i had anything to pump or plug or anything like that i'm gonna pump for jeff lobster house today that's what i'm giving <laughs> free press free press for Fort jeff lobster house free pub for Fort jeff lobster house they do it four times a year memorial day fourth of july labor day and black friday all you can eat lobster there they got them i gave him a little commercial i have to let them know when i get there tonight. all right figgy <laughs> how about this how about labor day or fourth of july probably well july 4th is mets yankees this year so that might be tough but labor day we're gonna join pulse and get all you can eat lobster. It needs to be done this season. Oh, I'm down. It's very good. It's yeah. a tradition now. I got a, a couple of buddies of mine. We go, and this will be about our fifth time we've done it. All right. I'm down. Labor I'm Day. Down. I'm, I'm, I'm marking it in the calendar. We're getting lobster, right, and we're down. stuffing our faces and drinking a lot of alcohol. Bill Pulsifer, thanks for coming on Amazing But True, man. We'll talk to you down the road. I right, appreciate it. Thanks for having me. That'll say au revoir to episode 56, the Ty Kelly edition of Amazing But True, our Mets podcast. 
from the New York Post. Thanks to you, Jake and Brian Mungia, for producing the show. Give Amazing But True a five-star rating and write in a nice review on Apple Podcasts. Please and gracias, mis amigos. For Nelson Figueroa, I'm Jake Brown. We'll be back on Thursday after the Mets series in Arizona against the Diamondbacks. But it won't get rained out. So, yeah, no rain this time as we look ahead to their series with the Padres. Enjoy the series and the return of a couple of key Mets players. Let's go, Mets.